This is Tyrannus Acre Forward, the ag industry's most thought-provoking podcast. Listen to interesting people as we go in-depth into the issues affecting crop advisors, growers, and farm communities. Uncovering the truth about the ag business and using technology to prepare for the unforeseeable. Ready to explore the future? Let's dig in. I'm joined here today with Dave Chance in Indiana. Dave, thanks for joining the Acre Forward podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I, I am doing well. So uh, again, thank you for having having me on today. No, absolutely. Well, first things first, we want to introduce you to our audience. You know, it's it's nice that we we know you pretty well here uh, as a customer, but also. Uh, a little bit deeper with Tyrannus, and, and we want to say congratulations. Uh, understand that you're now a grandfather. I am. I am. So, uh, so my daughter Nicole Hall had uh, actually uh, worked f- uh, for Tyrannus a yep. um, couple years there, and uh, great, uh, great experience there as a customer service uh, success representative. And um, she, uh, her, her husband John, and her had a. Uh, beautiful little boy on August 22nd of this year. So uh, Hank Allen Hall. And um, so my wife, Jill and I are proud grandparents and, uh, and John and Nicole actually uh, are joining the farm operation here. And and she's chose to, uh, to stay home uh, with Hank and, and uh, help us here on the farm with uh, a lot of our electronic, uh, things that we have going on there, uh, our, uh, our accounting system, we're changing accounting systems this year um, to a web-based accounting system, uh, Traction Ag. And, and uh, so she's she's gonna take the lead on that and uh, with a lot of our, a lot of our technical stuff. Uh, so we're, we're really excited uh, not only to have her home and have her grandchild uh, with us to, to watch him grow up, uh, but uh, we're, just, we're just excited to see what what the future brings. I think it's fantastic. Congratulations. We're we're excited. Nicole and our listeners know Nicole rather well. She's been very successful here with the company. You're in good hands, especially she's working with the Traction Ag and the other work that we're doing with her. Take her forward. She's obviously an expert and very adept. And, and we're very, very happy for you and for your family. So for our audience a little bit, Dave Chance, What's your history? How did you end up in farming? You know, so tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into farming. So actually, uh, uh, my wife and I are actually first generation farmers. Um, I grew up uh, just north of where your headquarters is at right there, uh, just about a mile and a half there in Westfield, Indiana. And um, my dad actually uh, uh, was not a full-time farmer. He actually was a biochemist at uh, Eli Lilly in Indianapolis, uh, worked in uh, the insulin research field. Uh, but um, he loved farming and he loved farms. And uh, at the time, Westfield was a very small town. Um, and uh, when farm ground would come up for sale, instead of having the big house and the nice cars and all the, all the stuff that a lot of people had, he would buy farms. Uh, he just loved farm ground. And when I was probably five or six, he always had um, guys 50-50, a lot of his farm ground. And I just remember being out in the field riding on those tractors and just just the smell of 
you know, at that time, soil being plowed, just seeing earthworms, seeing the life in the soil, uh, just, you know, smelling the smells, seeing the sights of, of, you know, the power of tractors, the power of a crop that is, you know, freshly planted, that, that, that spikes through the ground, corn that comes through the ground. I got that fever at a very young age, probably five or six, and I knew I wanted to be a farmer. Um, I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. My mom actually was from a farm in Frankfort, Indiana, and her family was quite successful up there. So it was kind of in my blood. So I went to Purdue, uh, studied animal sciences up at Purdue, and uh, I was active on the judging team and uh, really into livestock. And actually after Purdue graduated and uh, started uh, started down here at Westfield with a fella, um, farming and and um actually raising pigs and um we had rented our first hog operation where chatham hills is located now um, oh, okay north of westfield yeah and uh, so in in the early 90s my wife and i got married in 92 and we realized that uh if we were going to continue farming as a career uh that we were going to have to move and um we were going to have to get out of this this Westfield area. So we, uh, I was working off the farm at that time for Indiana Farm Bureau Co-op in uh, as a as a swine uh, record specialist, and um, we bought a farm out here in Boone County, uh, about 250 acres, and and it built a about a 300 sow breed to wean uh, farrow to wean uh, breed to wean hog operation. And we mainly raised pigs uh, for the first several years, rented the farm ground out, and I worked off the farm. And my wife was a uh, a vet tech there at Jansen Vet Clinic in Sheridan. So that's kind of how we started. And then we just started uh, into the grain operations in um, kind of the mid-90s, 94, 95 type area, and just started kind of slow. We were buying equipment as we could afford it. And... Um, Long and behold, uh, just through a lot of opportunity, and I would say God's grace and blessings that we were able to acquire um, about 2,200 acres, um, primarily in Clinton, Boone County. Um, and we still farm in Hamilton County now as well. Um, but uh, we've been we've been blessed to acquire that. So we're now full-time grain farmers. And um, we raise corn, soybeans, and wheat, and uh, do some cover cropping, and and also have a composting business. Uh, we we got out of the hog business. The hogs are what, what I really was um, into, and and that's what really made our operation get going. Um, and that's what I did on my off farm career as well. Was in um, contract hog production, managing contract hog production. But we got out of the hogs three years ago, and we're now just grain farmers. That's uh, that's excellent. So I've got a few questions. Uh, you know, you moved into grain in the mid '90s. You've had hog, I think, for for our audience, it's a lot. Usually, a grain or a cropping uh, discussion, right. although they're all related, right? It's all connected. Right. Um, sure. So there's a couple of things you said. One is I, I'd love to know from the '90s till now, what stands out? You what are the biggest differences between grain farming? just in general in the industry from the mid nineties till today, what are the, what are the advances that you personally saw and what are the ones that made the biggest difference in how you farm today? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good question, actually, Mike, it's excellent. So when we started in the mid nineties, really, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have all of the, 
I'd say computer driven um, tractors that we have now. Um, the technology revolution in seed was just kind of starting to begin in terms of, um, you know, inserting the Roundup Ready traits and the BT traits and and some of those traits um, were just on the cusp of that. So it was really kind of at the end of, um, I would say, your your classic farming where, you know, you were using, you know, conventional soybeans, you were using conventional corn. Um, really prior to, I would say, the no-till craze, if that makes sense too. So everything was really a very conventional uh, system, um, you know, with, with tillage from tillage to, um, you know, uh, you know, seed decisions and, and, and things like that. Everything was very conventional. So as, as things progressed in the late nineties, uh, early two thousands, obviously the, uh, the GMO crops had started coming on the roundup ready beans seemed to be kind of that first thing that, that kind of revolutionized, um, you know, soybean production. We weren't, uh, spraying 10 times a year and we weren't out there with weed hooks in July and August and, Hundred degree weather, you know, cutting giant ragweed like we were, uh, you know, so that weed control component of the Roundup system really, I think, was the first thing that kind of revolutionized things, um, which kind of brought, uh, you know, us into a little more of a conservation mindset, probably in terms of our tillage practices um, at that time frame. And then uh, that led itself really into the, you know, double, triple stack corns uh, with the BT and rootworm traits. Um, and we saw some advantages there just purely from a yield standpoint. Then I would say the thing that's probably really revolutionized things uh, just from a, you know, operating standpoint um, in the, uh, you know, mid to, to late 2000, you know, five to seven, eight area, nine area, just the electronic advancements and equipment um, to where, you know, we started um, looking at auto steer as an example. We started looking at uh, the ability to do variable rate applications, um, whether that was fertilizer, whether that was seed, whether that was, uh, you know, a, a nitrogen application, we're able to start actually getting our hands around using some of that technology um and so that that has kind of been a big driver and then i think um also in that kind of same time frame um we started using some uh we started using farmworks as our um not only accounting system but that also had a really good component with it to where we could do enterprise accounting and we could um basically evaluate each field for profitability the ones that okay. made more money and the ones that didn't make more money and that also had a component where um, we could um, utilize our yield maps we could build fertility maps we could actually bring our soil test in still use that system today for uh, our soil our soil testing system and making our variable rate uh, you know fertilizer application maps out of that. Um, so a very powerful accounting system that took us a few years to actually realize the power that that possessed, um, if that makes sense. And I, I would say that's kind of the 2005 up to, to probably that 2015, 16, 17 area. And where I've seen this go actually the last three to four years is that, you know, a lot of those software-based systems and a lot of those initial electronic equipment systems have kind of integrated to cloud-based, where, you know, Tyrannus, yeah. as an example, is cloud-based. 
And um, where I see that evolving is a lot of those systems talking to each other. So it's taken us another step in terms of um, a layer of data that um, we can interpret. Some of it we can interpret, um, I think, as useful data that would actually would also would actually gain us a return on investment. Some of it is just data and yep. might not have that. So we're we're kind of evolving right now, in my opinion, to um, a more integrated system electronically. Uh, with, you know, for instance, the John Deere Ops Center uh, talking to, you know, Traction Ag, the accounting system, and, and you know, at some point being able to bring like Tyrannus, bringing these uh, images, these really high quality images, you know, into, um, you know, that fold as well and being able to actually maybe try to overlay layers of data to see if there's a, if there's a profitable decision in that. So I see that that's where that's really change. And I'm sure there's much more, but I think that's sort of a reader's digest version of what I've seen since we've started. Yeah, it's it. I think the te as the technology increases, some things get easier to do, but other things get more complex because you're operating in a very, just a lot of variability, whether it's your management practice, what you choose to do, how your equipment performs, how it should perform. And then you have genetics, traits, biology, chemistry, and I, I, I draw this out a little bit because sometimes our audience does have different backgrounds. And when you talk about farming, it becomes, I always think it's the yes, S is a science, but it becomes an applied art because there's so many unknowns right. that you have to work through. And, and now we have the ability to kind of unpack some of these things and put numbers, put quantification to it. But then the question is, which layers are important? How do you make a right. better decision? Something you right. ca that caught my ear earlier, as you said, as a child, you enjoyed seeing the life in the soils. Right. So right. I want to come back to the tech in a minute, but I think you talked about conservation, tillage, things like this. What do you mean when you say you see the life in the soils? How important is that for your farm? You know, what's your approach on that? Yeah, so that's... Um... I know it's a how deep long... question, right? <laughs> it's a deep... I saw I was getting ready to say, how long do you have on that one? So... um that is a very deep question. So um, I guess to kind of back that up a little bit. So my background would have actually started in livestock production for the most part and always enjoyed the crop farming, always loved that. That's ultimately what I wanted to get to, but I loved livestock and I love, I love raising hogs. And um, I got reasonably good at balancing rations for, you know, uh, pigs at different ages and uh, that was very important in the contract operations, not to remain, you know, profitable and uh, that type of thing. But um, the whole thing about nutrition is balance. OK, and um, you have to feed you have to feed a pig a balanced diet that is age appropriate um, for them to uh, convert feed efficiently, to gain fast and to remain healthy. And if, if that gets off the rails at a, at a different stage, then the whole thing can kind of become unprofitable. So um, coming from that mindset, that background, and then just having an observation of the life in the soil as a kid, I realized that um, it wasn't this paper agronomy thing that we were taught in college. 
Okay. And what I mean by the paper agronomy thing is, is that, you know, A plus B equals C, right? You know, you have buildup, you have yield removal, you know, okay. A, B, and C equals, you know, A and B equals C. Um, but with a nutritional background, understanding balance of animal nutrition, that approach didn't make sense because what that left out was biology. It left out what has the biology, what does it have to contribute to A, B, and C? So, so the key is, is this, is that I don't understand all the biology. I don't even begin to. Okay. Um, there are ways to measure that now. I mean, there's a, there's a company in California called Biome Makers where they'll do DNA testing on, you know, all the different biology um, strains and profiles in your soils. I don't understand that. I don't think anybody does. I mean, um, God has created a really, really, really intensively dynamic system. And he's allowed us to kind of discover it a little bit at a time. So I don't understand it. But what I do understand is that you have to feed it. And what I understand through animal nutrition is it has to be fed and it has to be fed balanced diets in order for that to um, operate at an optimum level. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is that it all has to be in balance. The physical properties of the soil are very important. The chemical properties of the soil are very important and the biological are very important. And not one dimension is one dimensional. All three of those have to work together for that to be perfect. In other words, the physical structures of the soil have to be really good. There has to be oxygen within that soil. There has to be no compaction. There has to be um, the ability for that soil to breathe, to, to, uh, to basically take water in and to allow water to go up. Um, the chemical properties of that soil actually affect the physical. If your calcium sure. levels are whacked out or your magnesium levels are too high and they peptide, you know, particles together, then it allows the oxygen not to go through the soil. So that those chemical properties, that balance of chemistry has to be so right that it allows the physical to actually work properly, which then when the physical works properly, you also create this really nice environment for the biological. Now, I don't understand all the biological, but I do rely on my senses that God gave me. I rely on my sight, what I hear, what I smell. And um, what I also know as a livestock producer is that you have to feed things. And biology is something I might not understand, but I know I have to feed it. So um, that's why I like cover crops in certain situations, because um, you have a you, you're basically creating a rotation that's different mm -hmm. than corn and soybeans. It's like, you know, if you're doing corn and soybeans, it's like the, the excadates coming out of that corner Pepsi and the ones coming out of the beans are Mountain Dew. So, you know, that's all that's all the food sourcing in a lot of cases that biology has. But when you start adding other species in and different things like that, they will exude different root exudates and um, they will stimulate different properties 
of biology that will actually diversify your biolog biological populations. So feeding biology is like feeding cows. We got a whole lot of livestock under our, under our feet and we can choose to feed them or we can choose to starve them. So um, even though I don't understand them, I do understand chemical and understand the balance of chemistry because of livestock feeding, things have to be in balance. Physical, you can see, compaction, some of those things, you know that has to be correct. And if you feed that biology and have those environments correct, um, you're creating an environment where you're allowing a seed to perform at its top genetic potential. So that's a long-winded answer to your question. Hopefully that makes some sense. I think it's a very thorough view. And I just listening to it, when you think of your, your soils, because it's not dirt, as a living, breathing uh, thing, well, what's in it, there's lots of different li living and breathing things. It's You got to create the conditions for success long-term. Right. And an investment in your soil is an investment in the long-term. It's not always a quick turnaround. You have to build some things up. So I, I think it's it's really an interesting topic, and there's a lot of questions, you know, around tillage practice, what worked, what doesn't. But you mentioned something around the seed, so maybe we can kind of focus a little bit. So when you understand your soils, and I know you do all of that yourself, you have your way of looking at it and managing it. How do you select? I mean, think about the last year you have. How do you understand the seed that you want to place, say corn, and mm -hmm. how did you look at it over the year? And I know. I know you use Tranus, so you know your stand counts, you know your weed pressure, you know your defoliation, you know the nutrient deficiencies that are visible. And and actually, you and I haven't talked about it. I I've, I've, I've have your farm here. I can see it. But I guess where my question is, you know a lot. You understand your farm. You know, you may not need an advisor as some other farmers do on some topics. But then when you pick seed and you decide how you're going to manage how does this new information that you mentioned come into understanding that, right? So first, how does Dave Chance pick seed and understand mm -hmm. seed? Second, how has that changed when you have the kind of leaf level data, uh, stand counts and things we just talked about? How is that changing your operation? What did you learn this year? Yeah, um, I guess the, the answer to your first question, how do we pick yep. seed? Um, yep. You know, um, a lot of times in the past, back, back a number of years ago, um, we uh we were all non-gmo for a long time uh both corn and soybeans and uh so we would actually do a lot of our farm testing we, we farm in three different areas we farm prairie soils we farm really good prairie soils to kind of transitional till plain soils and then over at westfield those are those are clay i mean around carmel carmel if, if you know that their name of their school system it's carmel clay school yeah. system and there's a reason it's called caramel clay because it is red, tight, slimy, you know, really. I grew really up with that in North Carolina. We see a lot yeah. of it in Brazil. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we farm in some different areas. So when we pick seed, obviously um, we'll rely pretty heavily on actually the agronomist um, and even corn plant breeders uh, from the companies we choose to work with. And then a lot of times, uh, in the past, we very extensively tested in those different environments and prairie environments and, you know, uh, transitional, you know, uh, till plain timber type soils to clay. We would we would actually 
plan a lot of different, you know, replications of, of new numbers or different numbers. And we would find the ones that actually performed well. We would like to have them in that type of uh, scenario for a couple seasons. And then we would we'd actually plan them in greater numbers. Um, we have gone back to GMO uh, for a number of reasons. Market, market uh, have kind of dried up a little bit on the non-GMO soybeans and corn around here a little bit. Okay. Um, and we were seeing um, weed pressures, um, not only through our own, you know, physical on the ground scouting, but through, you know, the platform of Tyrannus. Uh, we were seeing some weed pressures that uh, really were starting to become problematic that were going to be easier to deal with, with, um, you know, a, uh, you know, a stack type of corn, uh, the same in soybeans. Um, you know, water hemp was becoming an issue to control um, in a non-GMO soybean. Uh, so that uh, election was was good to go that direction with like an enlist bean. Um, we were actually starting to see some corn rootworm pressure when we were looking at some roots um, and corn borer pressure. So we were starting to see some of those things creep back in. So we went back into, um, you know, a GMO platform. So we did not have a lot of testing last year. So a lot of the hybrids that we picked, we relied very heavily on evaluating data um, as much as we could from from plots, from um, independent plots to company plots, and then listening to um, a lot of the corn breeders from those companies mm -hmm. and some of the district reps on what they had seen worked in different soil types, different environments, and what perhaps would work uh, the best for us. And some of the genetic platforms we used uh, from Wiffles, I know we had also used in non-GMO, so we were familiar with the genetic uh, parentage on some of those. Um, so that's really how we kind of selected seed this year. And then based on performance um, of those seeds, um, we'll repeat some of that uh, for next year and then uh, update update some that, that probably need to be updated. So um, that's how we kind of looked at that, I guess. Um, what we learned this year, I guess that's another question. Um, and the answer might not be real politically good um, okay i mean to be totally transparent with you um we have been very conservation minded over the years um yes and still are um we're, we're called to steward god's creation and we take that serious um well what we're seeing um with a very minimal tillage we are becoming extremely dependent on chemistry yes to control uh difficult weeds i would say yeah. um and um i'm not going to get around the controversy with glyphosate in this discussion you can you can land on that plane whichever direction you want to land but there's two things i know number one it's a very strong chelating agent and number two, it's a very strong antimicrobial. It also is a very good grass controller. It also has been a beautiful thing for weed control. But it does have some effects uh, that I think we have probably used too much of it um, in terms of trying to control things um, and maintain a very minimal tillage type of scenario. And um, moving forward, 
um, we are probably going to employ a little more conventional uh, conservation type tillage into our system. Um, not fully inverting soil. Um, I still want cover, um, but we're going to use more tillage in order to control some of these difficult weeds in order to, um, we've also found stratification in some of our soil testing okay. uh, procedures okay. that uh, I think is a yield barrier. And um, we're in this to, we're in this to make a living and we're in this to make a living not only for my wife and I, but for our son-in-law and our daughter and our grandkids moving forward. And um, we have to use all the tools that are in our toolbox in order to do this. And I think I don't want to get trapped into a system because it's popular um, and lose the ability to critically think and, and analyze problems on our farm. So. Um, are we still going to use cover crops? Yes, we are, because they're a fantastic way to feed microbes. Um, are we still going to use some conservation practices? Yes, we are. But are we going to use some tillage to uh, disrupt some weed cycles and to work through some stratification? Yes, we are going to do that because we do not need to have a system that is limited, is, is a yield limiting system. We don't want a yield limiting system. I, I think there's always think a balance. I mean, we look at, um, so, you know, glyphosate comes out and you have traits that have a tolerance and you can deal with weeds. And so you can use, you could argue you use one chemistry or a combination of its lesser, tighter dosages, you know, for people who are listening, you're using less. Um, and then we move into a world where we have seed treatments to deal and protect the seed. And we're using very minute amounts, but it's highly effective in an area. And you say, do you do cover crops? Do you till? Do you use this chemistry? Do you GMO? All of these things have different trade-offs because of their complex systems. And an over-reliance on just one or the other based on political decisions or decisions that aren't taking into account all the science limit not only the production and the yield, but the future of that farm, the future of that field. So I think it's what I like about the conversation is it's highly complex. And I get this question a lot, especially if you fly and they know you're in farming and you're on a plane or you're in an airport and somebody has questions. People say, well, every, everybody should just do no till, Dave. Don't yeah. till. Yeah. Right. But yeah. then, but then will you accept then that if you want the prices and the food and the output that you have, the other consequences of not managing it? Because I heard somebody say this once is farming is inherently a, an unnatural act. And what it meant is you would forage if we didn't have to do this. You're constantly taming and working nature. And I think your animal example is a really good parallel for people to get their heads around is you have to manage all of these elements in a productive way. And I guess the bigger question is, you know, how do we advocate for ourselves properly so people understand that you and, and farmers like you have all the right economic incentives and all the right information and the data and the information is getting better so you can know how to deploy these tools. Yeah, that's um that's a good that's a good it's a good analysis you made. I mean, um to to answer, you know, if if I meet somebody in an airport and say, like, well, you just need to just yeah. totally no tell. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to go somewhere that 
we might have to chop out, but that's all that's right. Okay. I'm going to go there. We just go there. So carbon, carbon, carbon credits are a big deal right now, right? Yep. Okay. Carbon credits. So no-till and cover crops are going to save the planet. Is that correct? That's that's the message I get from from I would say the um, from the elites. I get the, there's a, there's a trend in a lot of investment, a lot of financial investments, a lot of things in the world. There's a belief mm -hmm. and a trend that there are certain activities that will reduce uh, the effects of climate change. And yeah, obviously yeah. there's opinions around this, but there's an assumption um, that some of those actions, I don't know which one specifically reduce uh, a carbon footprint. Yeah. 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 So that's, so that's the basic, that's the underlying, that's the underlying discussion. Um, parts of that probably are true. Parts of that I don't think are true. And, and the parts that are not thought through very well with that is that um, you're putting yourself in a system where you are limiting yourself to a chemically based system. Some would argue you would have, you know, abilities to do it without chemicals, that, that type of thing. But you're, right. you're, you're inherently backing yourself into a system that's solely relying on one methodology to um, basically control pest. And, um, yep. you know, and it's become such a charged thing politically that this is going to save the world. And I'm going to tell you that I'm going to worship the creator and I'm not going to worship the created. I'm going to take care of the created that I've been instorted and entrusted to take care of to the best of the ability that he gives me to take care of it. But I'm going to worship the one that made it. And I'm not going to worship the creation. That's what I see going on. So he's also given me a brain to critically think. So what I'm telling you is this is what I have deduced from critically thinking through this situation for our farm. Is that right for everybody? No, it's not. If you live in the hills and hollers, in places where, you know, this system will not work, um, you know, limited tillage, minimal conservation sure. absolutely has, has, you know, revolutionized the area. Um, where we're at, it has caused some issues um, that have to be addressed. And these are ways that we are going to address them on our farm. I'm going to critically think and hopefully come up with the best answer that I can, that I can come up with. Well, you have every incentive to make sure that your farm lasts, that you're able to produce. And that's true for all farmers. There's not, um, I remember a cartoon uh, when I was maybe a teenager, middle, and they, it was called Captain Planet. And the whole, the whole premise of the story is that he's a superhero that saves the planet. But there are people actively, like everyone in business was just destroying the planet for the sake of doing it, which is not real life. And I think we find ourselves in extreme. So I think there are people who look at carbon, if you want to look at that one or any conservation, and with a certain set of information, these may be good things to incent. Now we can argue about whether the tax dollars should do it. We should, there's all kinds of different things, but what, what I think people need to really understand is what is the motivation and what is the science behind the decisions we're taking? And one policy, one dictate 
doesn't typically work out well. You just talked about the soils just in a small area, the variability that's there. Now let's right. take that across the country and the globe. Now let's look at the equipment or let's look at all the other trade-offs because I've, I've seen it, you know, okay, we're not going to use chemistry. Now we're going to put robots that burn them out with lasers or flames. Okay, well, there's different carbon issues with that. Or how do you power that equipment? And if it's gas right. or internal combustion, you have one answer. If it's electric or EV, is that coal powered? Are we talking nuclear? And I, again, it's not a political thing. I think you're right on a lot of these things is these are complex issues. And maybe for a different podcast that we can do that isn't Acre Ford, I would love to have a discussion around the psychology around what drives some of these beyond the science, because we're not all rational all the time. But these neo-paganistic things that are happening are not unique in human history. No, absolutely like you, not. No, no, we could go into a whole other deal there. Yeah, no, I mean, actually, that would probably get lots of clicks, but that's an area where, like, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, when you look oh, at what's going on, yeah. people do the same things. But yeah. what is new, so I'm going to pivot here so so we can broadcast this. What is new is we may not have the view that our creator has. No way. Yeah, we don't. But the view that we have of farms, and I'm being a little silly, but it's true. The tools and the view and the gifts and the things that we have and our understanding of farming and the environment, particularly, it's gotten much more hyper-local. And we really understand the inputs. We understand the biology, the chemistry. And I actually think it's so much like orders of magnitude beyond where it was even in the 90s. Yeah. And it's not even 5% of where it's going to go in the next 10 or 20 years. And I think that's what's exciting is we're given all these tools and we have people like you that are looking at this going, I can do something with this. So I think with that in mind, you, so you mentioned Wiffles. And what I like about this too is you so we'll have Wiffles listen to this. You got Traction yeah. Ag mentioned right. what was the other one biomaker so you look at a lot of things and then you work with us at tyrannus and obviously right. you get a lot of help you know you got nicole which is yeah. very, very helpful. Yeah. it's been fantastic yes but you're 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 a very data-driven person and we provide lots of data how do you describe because i haven't asked you about this either how do you describe what acre forward the platform mm -hmm. and the data from tyrannus how do you yeah. describe that to other farmers? And then we'll get yeah. into what it meant for you this past season. Yeah, um, actually, um, that, that's been a very, this has been a really intriguing uh, journey with Tyrannus in that aspect, because, um, you know, the first year we did it, um, you know, we, we, we got these images back and, and uh, we'd be looking for them and looking through them and, and, um, one of the things I love to do is scout. I love to just get out and just walk through fields. I just love doing that. I love seeing things grow. I love digging in the soil. I love just watching things grow and just, you know, thinking it through. But the thing that really hit me, uh, I'm trying to think how long we've done it now, two or three years, uh, two or three seasons, couple I lose track of time. I'm getting old. So, um, but the first season we had it as a whole, um, we had this one farm in Clinton County and, um, just from walking the scouting that I did on the ground, I didn't really see any problems. And, you know, off to the next field I went and man, um, uh, we got this, um, 
the image back, and I'd say the soybeans were in the late V stage, mid mid to late V stages. It was, I don't know, second week in June or something like that. And uh, Nicole's like, Dad, this thing is full of grass. I mean, full of grass. I'm like, no, it ain't. It's not full of grass. Um, I just was out there. I just walked it. So she shows me this image, and guess what? It was full of grass. It was full of barnyard grass. And uh, the thing that was really cool was because I had that data and I had that in a timely fashion, uh, those were non-GMO soybeans. We were able the next day to get in there and spray that field with select and there wasn't any grass in that field at harvest. Um, without that data, we would have seen that grass probably at about R1, R2 in yeah. those soybeans. And, uh, you know, it would have been yield impacting at that point. So I don't have a way to say, hey, um, you know, that one image over 220 acre farm actually, you know, saved us X. But if I actually put the number to that, let's say that saved me 10 bushel, you know, and that was 220 acres at 10 bushel, um, you know, and just use what we were getting with a premium on non-GMO at that time. I mean, that, that was a $33,000, um, you know, move, if that makes sense. It, and, it actually uh, does. That's it. That's... I would have missed it. You know, I'd have missed it. I would have missed it without that image. And so um, we, yeah, we see that a lot. We see where people will use it on faraway farms, but then they don't realize what's happening right by their shed. Yeah. Cause you see it's, it's impossible to, the, the world has changed and we we've done this for, so those listening, it's not just imagery either. This data is quantified. It's telling you like Nicole could say it would flag up on all your fields. This one yeah. has X percent weeds, heat map, everything species, and you could click a button and you can look at it. And that's economically viable. Now we're four years ago, the tech, the drones, we used to make them. Now everything is at a place where that those technologies, just like your soil, the biology, chemistry, the battery life, the drones, the AI, all the capabilities and the sciences have now converged where it's it's economically feasible and technologically feasible. And that changes right. things. So that's a great yeah. example is you get alerts, you understand that there's a, a so yep. we probably can hack, act in season. I'm also curious because you are a scientist and you're looking at this, when you see stand counts across all your corn, yeah, does yeah. that change how you allocate your resources after you get them in the season? Has that been helpful to you? It, it actually, it's um, it's been interesting. Let's put it that way. We we had okay. some stand counts. We had some stand counts this year, which we we knew this one farm um, we had planted and it rained a bunch right after we planted. It wasn't supposed to, but it did. You know, so off to the races we go cold wet you know the whole the whole story so it's like well this one's doomed this one's no good and um the stand counts come back and i mean they're right on the borderline right i mean you know yeah. and tyrannus nailed those things i mean it was you know very 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 good imagery where we could just see it and we debated and debated and debated and it's like oh do we go tear this thing up i mean this is awful and um you know, and it was like, well, Tyrannus has shown 32.5, 32.6. This hybrid's supposed to flex. I guess, you know, let's just go with it and see. You know, it's not that big a farm. We'll just go with it and see. And then we had a hail event in mid-June this year that hit a lot of our fields. And Tyrannus showed that beautifully. Yeah. Um, it just did. It, 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 it was sort of a depressing pictures 
when we get them back and see those leaves ripped up. Uh, but that particular farm really got ripped up and it's like, well, strike two, you know, and, and the, and it's just, it's bringing in these images. It's like, oh man. Um, but we got some timely rains on that particular farm and we didn't replant it. And, um, that, that ended up, I think being our third best farm, you know, oh, wow. as far as, as far as yield, but, uh, it was a flex air hybrid, but, um, it was very good information because it did indicate that we were on the borderline of some of our stands not being correct and we maybe need to take action and replant them. If that would have been like a 26,000 stand, we would have just gone in and done it, not had a question. Um, but with the data and the data that showed the whole field, not just walking out in one or two spots, but actually right. showed right. the population on the whole field. And that being a 32,000, not just, you know, in, in a spot or two, but a pretty consistent, we, we would have probably not had the confidence to leave that stand without the imagery, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I think, you know, we've learned, because again, in our audience, if you haven't, if they've done this, they know this. It's powerful information, but as you do it, and as you get more and more of this, the usage of this changes and you understand mm -hmm. things differently. One thing about uh, stand count, yeah, there's a replant aspect to this. Um, there's a lot of other uses of that data once you have it. But the funny thing about replant is everybody talks about why I replanted and I knew where to replant. Actually, what you just said, if you don't have to rip out or you only rip out less than you thought you were, I was looking at the Purdue guides. I think if you're, I can't remember if it's uh, two or three weeks late, your mm -hmm. yield drags gonna be like 26, 27%. You right. know, there's there's a there's a there's a definite cost to right. this. So what you're saying here is on 32,000, had you taken a different approach, you would have lost maybe a quarter of the yield that you ended up getting. Yeah. All things considered. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's a hard thing to think about because that's not how we talk about this in the past. But this information right. now changes and say what plants are I it's not replant. What am I preserving for maximize my, you were able to make that choice, right? Yeah. Do I take yeah, the I'm risk more. or do I understand the 25%? So that's, yeah. I think that's what's unique about this because you can see it with your eyes. And what's yeah. neat here is if I were an advisor working with you, your Wiffles mm -hmm. advisor or whomever, we can actually look at this in detail together down to a leaf level, look at the data, see how the weeds are managed. And this isn't conjecture. We're having a, a fact-based conversation and we right. can see it with our eyes too. It's not just a a, a heat map that's just interpreted. It's both. Right. You actually have a visible layer. You feel that's right. important in your conversations. Yeah, I do. I think. Yeah, I do because um, when you're when you're dealing with um, data, um, you're dealing factually. You're 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 taking if if you if you can accept if you can accept that you have a problem. And sometimes you want to deny that you have a problem. <laughs> and when you see an image, it's like, I have a problem. And I'll, to be just totally honest with you, I can't deny that there is not a problem. So what that data does is actually um, allows you to analytically look at um, that situation, whatever it might be, and, mm -hmm. uh, and sort through that. Um, without a lot of outside noise, if that makes sense. Well, it um, lets you focus, right? It clears 
yeah. the assumptions. Because when you're on the yeah. combine, do you remember all the weed pressure deficiencies, stand count, all the history when you're looking at the yield monitor? I I think that's probably pretty difficult to do given the amount. It's of actually impossible because actually, honestly, um, young man that's that's been with us, kind of partnered with <laughs> us, uh, man, he's been here 27 years. Um, he's better running the combine than I am. Uh, so I run the combine very little, to be honest. Um, I just don't run the combine that much. I, I actually do all the trucking and, and kind of run okay. the grain system. And, uh, so, um, I see things from abroad, but then yield mapping and those things, the data in the office is what I actually look at very intently. Um, and then I'll ride in the combine some to see those actual health differences, but, but it, running combine some, it is difficult to say, you know, where those areas were, you might have some general ideas, um, right. but you're looking at so many things. It's difficult to humanly uh, ascertain that it's a lot easier with accurate yield mapping to where you can overlay that with, um, you know, those layers that might, for instance, indicate weeds might indicate nutrient deficiencies. That's another area we haven't talked about. It's kind of interesting. Um, we work really hard on our fertility. We, we want to make sure that that plant does not have a bad day and has, uh, you know, everything down to the, the micronutrients. I mean, the ones you don't even hear about, the things like cobalt, the things like molybdenum. We want it to have everything that it needs. And, um, and then when I see images and I'm, I know I've put on a lot of sulfur and dealt with a lot of sulfur right. deficiencies. And then all of a sudden we've got this dry period and Nicole's like, well, dad, you got a crap load of sulfur deficiency. I'm like, there is yeah. absolutely no way I have sulfur deficiency, but guess what? Those leaves are indicating sulfur deficiency. And, um, she's right, you know? Uh, so we have to ask why. And, um, so, you know, just overlaying all those layers of data um, is what becomes very powerful. Another example of where we used it this year, really in a decision, was very interesting. On a one of our bigger fields, um, we had a, a NVDI image that that are taken, I think, every week or every couple of days or, we have or a, yeah, we, we have a few times a week on top yeah. of the leaf level. That's yeah. right. Yep. So it's it's really interesting. We had uh, we had a uh, two Wiffles hybrids in in this farm, and we had yep. an Agrigold hybrid in this farm. And I mean, this one Wiffles number, I mean, it stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, that MBDI was just green to the row. You know, I think that block was 115 or 20 acres of that particular number. And it stood out like a sore, sore thumb. But what was very interesting is when you actually physically went out and audited that in the field, the nomenclature of that plant, it had a wide, uh, broad leaf and was really, really collecting sunshine. And um, very interestingly, that translated to yield in that field. That I makes mean, sense, right? It just did. Yeah, it absolutely did. So it's like, okay, well, we know that number does this. We know that it is you know, very stress tolerant. It has a wide, broad leaf. Um, it, is a, it is a sunshine intercepting machine. Um, you know, uh, you know, so we can really, we can really put some confidence in that, but it was, uh, it wasn't an intuition. It was substantiated by an image data. that that data actually kind of drove that and, and, and really kind of lets us understand that genetic family a little better.
So what we may do for our audience, because farming is very personal and we're not showing your farm, but I've actually, I have, I, I when you're talking, so everybody who understands what this tech is, it's not, it's not uh, hypothetical. It's not a memory. I have your farm and as you're speaking, I can filter where all your sulfur deficiencies are. And I can look yeah. at that and I can look at the satellite trends over time. The same thing on the stand count one, I can probably figure out where we're there. And this is where I know you do a lot of things for yourself, but for the retailers, because a lot of retailers listen to this. To be competitive, if you want to be a good retail advisor, if you want to be a good sales agronomist, crop consultant, not having this is a severe disadvantage. Having this gives you the engagement, lets your grower and you have a relationship to say, is that correct? Is what Dave is saying correct? And I know you know because you've gone through this, but there's so many things that we've had to just kind of understand, have hypotheses that we could not prove. And now we can yeah. go through that, like that NDVI, we call it field health that we do. Yeah. We yeah. can show that trend on that exact field with you. You can overlay your planting, right? And we can show yeah. the stand count and we could show this. And then you can look down at a leaf level. And if it's Wiffles, Agrigold, whomever it is, you can say, hey, this is why I'm doing this. And to me, that's exciting. Like this is new. Yeah. And yeah. I, I still get excited even though I get to see it. I think it's crazy that I can sit here in this chair and look at your farm over time and do an yeah. instant replay, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty crazy to me. So what else, when you look at this, what decisions are you maybe modifying for next year as a result of basically having a digital twin of your farm at your fingertips? What's going to change going into 2024 for you? Um. Probably, um, probably, I would say two things a little bit. Um, hybrid placement based on some of that data um, probably is one of those things that uh, probably is going to hone in a, a little better placement maybe with some of these hybrids on the corn side uh, for sure. Um, with regard to um, some of the weed pressures that have shown up, um, we're, we're gonna, we are managing, um, our tillage system, uh, okay. a little bit okay. differently, um, probably with regard to soybeans as much as anything, um, in terms of, uh, how we're going to do that. Um, and then, uh, and that you're looking at, are you looking at, um, the corn fields that you had this, this year and planting yes. for soybeans? So, was there a particular weed? And again, I'm doing this for the audiences. Yeah. I'm looking at my screen and I can sort your field. Say, just show me corn because I know that's going to beans, right? right. Mostly. And I say, okay. Um, and I can pull down hybrids. I could do other things. I'm looking at this year and right. I can see the severity by field in corn and I can see the species of weeds and how mm -hmm. many acres and how many fields and where they were right. everywhere, right? Right. So right. what right. stood right. out with you weed-wise from corn and how's that affecting your bean um, and your, your decisions going into 24. Yeah. So, um, and, and one thing, you know, that I would say on the, on the imagery that also we didn't really talk about, you know, in corn, um, it ended up really catching it. We, we did have water hemp as an issue, yep. um, on some fields and we were able to quickly address that, um, you know, with some herbicide choices, um, that really knocked that out, but we know since that has really kind of become a problem that, um, 
we're going to be addressing that in the future. And the reason I say that we are probably changing our uh, management a little bit with regards to not only just that weed, but some others, knowing that those are probably going to appear uh, next year in our soybean fields as well, um, would really be the use of more residual chemistry, which we okay. use a lot of residual okay. chemistry for soybeans. But um, here's the other thing, and, and this is just purely me hypothesizing okay sure yeah but this is my conclusion a little bit that we're using um residual chemistries to control water hemp and we're spraying those residual chemistries on a lot of residue but my understanding of residual chemistries is they have to actually bind with the soil clay yes. particles yes in order to actually be effective so therefore we have found that a lot of our residual chemistries, because of a, a very extreme no-till situation, have actually not been extremely effective. So my hypothesis is we've got too much residue. And how we found this out, we had a field that we had tiled. And um, so we had actually conventionally uh, tilled that field completely, used the same basic burn down uh, chemistry system we had, minus the Roundup, minus the 2,4-D, just the residual chemistry. And to be honest, I don't even think we had to respray that field. So why did that work? And it didn't work on the field right across the fence. It's residue. It yeah. wasn't hitting the soil. It wasn't hitting the soil. I mean, the rain probably could get it there eventually, but guess what? We didn't have a whole lot of excess rain this spring. No, we didn't. So, you know, our, our thinking really is, is kind of become this, um, is that, uh, you know, we need to, we need to actually probably deal with some of the residue that's out from these cornfields, we actually need to get it chopped. I don't say moldboard plow it or, or even deep chisel it, but we need to get it. We need to get it chopped. We need to get it degrading. Uh, we need to get um, that whole uh, you know system of residue cycling started earlier uh, to where when we come into the spring, we have more soil contact that these residual chemistries can actually. Uh, provide us uh, the residual control with some of the small seeded broadleafs that they're intended to do uh, to get us further into the growing season uh, in order to have a uh, another uh, tool in our toolbox to control some of these small seeded broadleafs that seem to be coming more of a an issue to manage. So um, we've gone back to you know a more I'd say conservation type tillage uh, system in order to manage that. Um, moving forward, we're going to see how that works. But we we saw an advantage, um, not only from a weed control perspective by what we did with that actually this year and the year prior um, on some small acreages, um, we've also seen yield improvement. And I think that has to do with stratification. That's interesting. But I think it makes a lot of sense. And I'm, again, as you're talking, I'm pulling up different fields here. And when you talk about the rain on top of the weed progression, I can see on your fields, I can actually see the temperatures and the precipitation. So we mm -hmm. can actually understand this. Is, it, is that correct? Does that make sense? Because there are factors. We have another, and maybe you saw it too, but we have uh, another grower in, it, that saw, oh, I got a stand count issue. And it's related to what you talked about. It was residue is hair pinning. Yeah. Right. And so that that changes what we're going to do. And I think, again, other farmers hearing this, other growers hearing this, they may manage to your level. I, I don't know. Right. I, I think there's all kinds. Uh, but I know that 
having been as part of a co-op system in the past, working for Syngenta, companies like this, I work with a lot of retailers, Dave. If you're a crop consultant and you're listening to this and you're saying, I want to help my growers, I want to have a relationship and I want to help my growers build yield. This is a fact-based conversation that, that can be had. And even if you're just starting out and you're new to the area and you're trying to earn business, say, with, with your farm, being able to walk through this and have this conversation, you're going to buy what you need and use what you bought. It's not about mm -hmm. a program. It's not about a discount. It's about what's right for me on this farm. And I, I just find that, I think that is an environmental benefit. I think that's a benefit economically for folks. I think that changes what we're going to do. And I, I think it's really interesting like how you're looking at the weed and the weed control here. I think, so does that change the program at all you're going to use? Do you understand like maybe the adjuvants that you're using on your chemistries or the chemistries themselves? Are you, are you questioning those things? Do you look at the equipment? You know, so there's the soil side of it, I understand, but are you looking at any of the management practice stuff as a result of this high definition scouting that you've got? I, I think, I think one thing, um, one of the, yeah, I, I would say we want to get it down to where we can effectively manage these weeds with um, passes of herbicides, but minimal passes without having to actually, you know, go back to, you know, a second time or a third time, or, you know, when you see it pop through the canopy type of thing, we want to, we want yeah. to actually get ahead of the curve. So, you know, part of the reason for a tillage change um, would be number one for residual chemistries to work um, a little more effectively, therefore allowing for early crop canopy to occur maybe quicker without competition. And therefore, then maybe we could spray like an enlist. We're we're in the enlist program, so we would probably spray like an enlist. Um, okay. Just prior, just prior to a flower, just prior to a to an R period, so that you know we have effective weed control um, in that reproductive stage, and we do not have to go in with a rescue um, application of a certain herbicide during a time when that plant is focusing its energy from um, putting its sugars into the roots and, and, and vegetative growth, but it's putting it into the fruit sinks. And when you have to metabolize chemistry during that time frame, when it's actually trying to put its sugars and its outputs of photosynthesis into the, into the fruit, into the sugar sink, as a sugar sink, um, We've got to be able to manage that effectively, if that makes sense. With, with the technology, yeah, we can go in with Roundup and whatever else at an R stage and control the weeds. But what are we doing to yield? And I, I can prove, I can prove it's a hypothesis. I guess I shouldn't say that I can, because true science is what? True science is something that's always repeatable, not six times out of 10 or seven times out of time. But true science is always repeatable. So I can't say that this is true science, but this is experience that I feel like we have seen um, on our farm is when we have to go in and rescue weeds, uh, rescue yep. spray for weeds in a reproductive stage in a crop life, it's always going to cost us yield. I mean, I can almost prove that every time on a yield on a yield mapping system where we've done that. 
So in order to avoid that, but have good control over these weeds that seem to become a problem, we're trying to manage this differently in order to avoid that application at that time frame in order to maximize your yields. And some of this has been driven by the data that we've seen from this high-end resolution imagery. I, I It's really great. I, I was just checking a few when you're mentioning these weeds and you can see it over time where we're picking up, you know, Palmer amaranth at this big, you know, and, yeah. you know, like quarter size and we identify species level and then either you were able to treat it so it didn't become a problem, but then you see some breakthrough later, you see water hemp, you see things and it makes you, you're always going to have an issue. You also see what's right. And you gave that example. This information doesn't just show you what's wrong. It shows you what you got right. So there's yeah. hybrids you're going to place differently, but continue. There's hybrids you're going to place more of. There's some you're probably going to do less of. And, you know, but it changes actually not just in season what you do, but your whole plan for next year to make sure you've got all these variables right. And I, I right. really think what I'd like to do, because I, I could do this forever with you, is I would love to maybe sit down because I'm sure we're going to get the questions and say, what are some highlights that make sense where we can visually tell this story so folks really understand all these components that come into this, right? Because you're getting it from soil all the way up and then over time. Mm -hmm. And you understand how you're playing. We call it game tape, right? You're the professional mm -hmm. athlete, but it's not bad. Even if you're Tom Brady, and this annoys people if I use that example, but even <laughs> if you're Tom Brady, around here, they get upset about the inflation or lack thereof of footballs. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but you need game tape to be better, right? That's right. what this right. is about. And you said, you know, scientific. Yeah, for it to be a law, it has to be repeatable almost every time. But most of what we deal with is never going to be a law scientifically when it's this complicated we just aren't going to know but i think the tech is getting better to where we can make the right decision around the hybrid or i mean you've got a lot of fields if you want to look at your fungicide budget you can take a different risk now and say you know what i had great stand great weed control i'm coming into this crop i'm going to move my fungicide budget here here and here and on these fields, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to use less, but I'm going to use more here. So I think the benefits economically of being able to understand this and have this conversation in season and then into next season, it more than pays for itself. Like the example you gave uh, there, or we could take the replant example, or that hybrid. I, I'm very curious after this, what which hybrid that is and which brand that is that has those leaves, because that's... This is better than R&D in a show plot. This is actually in practice what's happening, yeah. right? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's um, that's the stuff that really makes this stuff exciting. But, you know, one thing I would comment on that has sure. changed, kind of goes back to the changes I've seen in agriculture. Um, we have definitely changed, um, how do I want to say this, uh, our... Our, hat, our, our hats have changed a little bit because of resulting from all of this data and technology that we do have now. Um, it's changed a little bit our time management and yes. how we yeah. manage our farm because it's added another management component that when we started, we did not have, if that makes sense. It you does. Know, we didn't have... GPS. We didn't have auto steer. We didn't have, um, you know, a farm work system where we could, you know, 
evaluate things from a enterprise level or down to what a piece of equipment cost us, you know, uh, per year. We didn't have uh, aerial images from Tyrannus to, you know, study all winter. We didn't have yield maps, you know, to study all winter. We didn't have variable rate soil testing. So um, therefore, we didn't have, in some senses, that level of responsibility to uh, address um, how that affects our farm. So that's added a job description on the farm that didn't exist before. And um, I, I enjoy that. That's that's a part that I enjoy, but it also takes a lot of time. Yes, it does. Um, that, uh, you know, sometimes we don't have. And uh, it also takes, um, you're not always sure that, you know, what you're evaluating is actually profitable or, or sensible or making you money. Some of it's not. Sure. You know, some of it's just not. So, um, so that's, that's one thing that's changed. I, I think I, th when I hear time management, I always go back to, there's a fixed amount of time. You're really managing your priorities and with better information, you're really doing the math on what's the greatest return on the investment. Cause there's an opportunity cost. You, you're not in the combine. There's an opportunity yeah. cost. If you were in the combine, there's an opportunity cost if you're doing other things. But if you have this information and you can actually get a return out of it and your time is in those other things, it does change the job description for you. Yeah, it, does it does change it. Yeah. That's scary for some people because we have to get there, but it, it creates, um, this is the, the problem with Acre Forward and Tyrannus is not that the data is not valuable. It's incredibly valuable. It's very appealing. It's easy. It's like you're standing in the field, right? It's, it's right. You can't miss what you're looking at. It's quantified. The big issue is it's the drawer you don't want to open because you know it's a mess. And when you open it, you feel like you got to change. I mean, you're going to have to change even how you go to the fields. Which fields do you go to? What are you going to do? It forces all these decisions. Um, but I think that that's the only way forward for us to continue to improve our output, our production, the 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 soil health. Like these are all the things that we need to continually improve. And I think our listeners here and you, somebody who has the expertise, but the dedication and make sure that all these components are considered and you're making the best decision possible. It's a lot like medicine. We don't know everything, but sometimes right. we're going to make the best decision possible to make sure we right. have a healthy patient or crop or field. Right. But I just want right. to say thank you because I I learned I learned a lot just kind of listening to how you come at this. And so, you know, before we kind of wrap up this podcast is now that I've talked to you, I, I feel like there's some more things I want to do in a second one. Uh, but here, somebody hearing this and, and, and they said, okay, you've got Tyrannus looking at the field. I've got all these things. What would be your advice to somebody entering into this as either a retailer or as a grower? Because um, you've done this for a little while. What would be just, hey, here's some things you need to consider um, to get the most out of it. You know, how do you describe that when growers ask you? Um, go into it with an open mind. Um, go into it with an open mind, uh, I think is a big one and, um, utilize, um, 
if, if, if you don't understand something, don't be afraid to ask somebody who would have better knowledge. Um, and then don't be afraid to, uh, I, I think, to prove it to yourself. When you see an image, go ground truth it. Go out and walk the field. Go to it. Go see what it, see if it's actually an issue. And um, nine times out of ten, it's going to prove to be. So it actually, it actually qualifies, um, you know, what you may, what you might um, maybe suspect in a field or, or not suspect in a field. It, it actually kind of qualifies it. It actually qualifies that this is actually an issue and it needs to be dealt with. So, so go into it, understanding these aren't just cool pictures, but do something with it. Actually take the time when you get those text messages, um, make time in the mornings, whenever it's convenient to look that over and say, Hey, that might be an issue. Um, need to put that on the priority. Go look at that today. Um, hey, I don't understand this. I need to talk to, you know, a crop scout or a retailer. Um, but these aren't just pretty pictures. This actually can be translated into real dollars. So I would, I would tell people that, uh, take it, take it serious and, and give it a shot. Doesn't have to be on every acre. Try it on a field or two and, uh, and see what you can learn, but go into it with an open mind. That, that would probably be my advice. I think it's I think it's great advice, and I want to thank you for your time and and sharing kind of your experiences here with us. Um, going to an open mind is is really great, and also the way we think about how we build our technology. This wasn't to disrupt anything in the value chain; it was meant to bring people together so the right decisions can be made with the grower, and right. that's really unique given what we're doing and the way we do it. But that's why it works. So. Yeah, if 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 you do Tranis and you're working with a retailer and you're not looking at it, then you're not going to have a return you want. But that's true of anything. If you're right. going to use this and you're going to look at it, you're going to have more return than you expect. But it's going to change what you do. Right. And that and that's the point. It's you, you're going to get way more than what you put into it. But it is a different way of farming. It is a different way of understanding. And I think. I get excited when I hear you talk about it and I, and I see what's going on even on your farm here on the screen. Cause I still think it's, I think there are people who are going to listen to this going, what are they talking about? How is Mike looking at his farm while he's talking? And it's not right. just images. Everything's quantified. I can yeah. go, I can search for all the weeds you're talking about. I can go right into the map. I can look at it. I that's, yeah. that sounds crazy four or five years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it would it would have been. It it was unthinkable, actually. Yeah. So we live in a really great time. And you know, what I want to say is I've enjoyed the conversation here with Dave Chance of Indiana because I've learned a lot. I really like hearing about your history, you know, coming up and you know, the wonder and the awe and seeing in creation the life in the soils. That's probably the quote. I don't know if that'll be the title of our podcast but the life in the soils. And now, you know, with this technology, the way you're embracing the science of it and, and how that comes together, um, I'm honored that you choose to, to use Tranus and the Acreford platform. Um, but I'm also, and I think our, get, our, our audience is just pleased to have you here, willing to share and talk about uh, what's here. And I'm sure there'll be more opportunities to do that. So Dave, congratulations again on being a grandfather. Um, congratulations on all the success on the farm. 
and and really thank you again for sharing today. Yeah, absolutely. It was, our, it was my pleasure to be here. 